Christmas will be here before you know it. So now is the time to prepare your heart with a timeless devotional written by Dr. David Jeremiah called Season of Joy. Enter the Christmas season with restored hope, resounding joy, reassuring peace, and renewed faith. This inspirational book is yours for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a gift of $100 or more, you'll receive a four-pack to share the season of joy with others. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Welcome to Turning Point. No matter what you're going through, you have a full-time intercessor lifting you up in prayer 24-7. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah examines this vital but often overlooked role that Jesus provides from his heavenly post. Continuing the series, The Jesus You May Not Know, here's David to introduce today's message. Is he praying for us or are we praying to him? One of the questions that people ask uh, a lot is, what is Jesus doing now? He came, he walked on this earth, was crucified, buried, rose again, ascended to heaven. He's now in heaven. What is he doing? Well, of course we know he's preparing a place for us that we might come and live with him forever. So he's, uh, he's doing that. But the Bible also tells us he is our advocate. He is the one who is praying for us. And uh, I don't know that we really get the impact of that unless we stop and meditate on it. The Lord of glory, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, is praying for you by name. He's bringing you before the Father, bringing me before the Father. And we're going to talk about that today. Our question today, is he praying for us or are we praying to him? And the answer to the questions are yes, yes. And we'll see that as we go through our study. I want to tell you about um, our very special devotional that we have prepared for you uh, for the new year. It's called Walking with Jesus. Many of you know that during the last part of this year, I lost my ability to walk independently and have been using a walker as I recover and get back to uh, becoming an independent walker. I thought it was quite an interesting thing that when this happened to me, I looked up and here was our devotional for the new year and it said, Walking with Jesus. And I took that as a promise. I'll be walking with Jesus shortly and uh, I know that you understand what I mean. We need Jesus every day and walking is a, a symbol of a forward progress. And this devotional book will give you something to read every day. In fact, I've been joking with you about there being 366 pages because this new year is a leap year, and that's true. So there's a devotional for every day. And when you read these devotionals, they point you to Christ, and they open the door for spiritual information to flow into your heart. I hope you'll get a copy of it. It's yours for the asking when you send a year-end gift to Turning Point. Thank you for your generosity. And simply say, here's my year-end gift. Please send me the devotional, and we'll do just that. Here is part one of, Is He Praying for Us, or Are We Praying to Him? I want to talk to you today about this question. Is Jesus just aware, or does He really care? Is Jesus just there watching us, or is He involved with us in some way? that would show us that he has compassion for us in our needs. After the death of former President George H.W. Bush at the age of 94, the media began discovering a lot of activities that he had secretly pursued during his life. 
And in some cases, it came as a surprise to those who knew him. Unfortunately, usually when we hear secrets that come out after somebody dies, we cringe. But in the case of H.W., we smile. The news wasn't about scandal or shame, but about compassion and care. Turns out he had been quietly helping many people using the name G. Walker so that they wouldn't know he was the president. For example, for years, Bush sponsored a Filipino boy named Timothy through the nonprofit organization Compassion International. He made contributions toward Timothy's support and regularly wrote him letters. The two started corresponding when Timothy was seven. And in his first letter, Bush wrote, I want to be your new pen pal. I'm an old man, 77 years old. I don't like that part of the story, but I love kids. Uh, And though we have not met, I love you already. I live in Texas. I will write to you from time to time. Good luck. G. Walker. Well, occasionally, Bush would drop hints about his real identity. In one letter, he sent a picture of his dog saying, this is Millie. She's met lots of famous people. Another time he wrote, we're going to have Christmas this year with my son at his house. And oh, he lives in a big white house. (laughs) But Timothy never caught on. He would write Mr. G. Walker, and Mr. G. Walker would read the letters and reply, offering encouragement. After Timothy graduated from the program at the age of 17, a Compassion International worker flew to the Philippines to tell Timothy the true identity of the man who had been such a blessing to him. Timothy was dumbfounded. I knew he was a kind and encouraging and wonderful man, But I had no idea he was the president. It was hard for him to grasp that the president of the United States would know his name and care so much about him. Like Timothy, we find it difficult to believe such a great man would care about his life. We, too, can find it difficult to believe that Jesus cares for us. Sometimes we know he's there. But we don't know that he cares. We don't know for sure that he cares. People sometimes tell us that he does. But it's hard for us to believe that he could really, I mean, there's so many of us. How could he care for us? Yet when you survey the life of Jesus, you find a man who cared for the people around him in surprising ways. He touched lepers. He cured the sick. He befriended social pariahs. He cherished children. His last acts were to pray for the forgiveness of his murderers and then to look beside him and feel compassion for a dying thief whom he encouraged and assured of salvation. The more difficult Jesus' life became, the more people crowded around him with demands, and the closer he moved to a torturous death, the more loving and caring and forgiving he became. When Jesus saw broken humanity... He reached out to care for them. And I don't know about you, but one of the first verses I learned as a little child was 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Although Jesus is no longer walking beside us in the physical realm, his concern for us is no less real. 
And the Bible tells us that one of the ways he chooses to care for us is through prayer. I mentioned this to you earlier in this series that Jesus is praying for us. But I want to unpack and explore that a little bit further today. After Jesus accomplished all that was necessary for our redemption and salvation at the cross, he took his place at the right hand of the Father. And from there, for the last 2,000 plus years, he has continued his ministry to us through prayer. We all know that we pray to Jesus, but we may not know that Jesus prays for us. The Bible speaks about this in several places in generality. For instance, Romans 8 says it this way, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. He's interceding for us said Paul to the Romans. And the writer of Hebrews echoes these words. Because he continues forever, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always makes intercession for them. Mark it down in your notes that Jesus is praying for us. Have you ever had the experience of knowing that someone was praying for you? I mean, that there's not anything like that in the world to know that people are praying for you. So many times you guys send me notes or personally tell me, Pastor, we pray for you every day. And you have no idea what that means to me, to know that you pray for me and that I pray for you. I remember reading about John Patton of Scotland who grew up in a small Scottish cottage where he could hear his father praying for him in the next room. And the sound of his father's voice in prayer followed him through all of his life. Even after his father's death, he said he could still hear his father praying for him as he would think about him. Ann Worthington is a lifelong Christian worker who now has retired in North Carolina. She recalls her parents rising every morning for devotion. She said, when my father was working, he would get up at 4.30 and study and pray. And as long as I live, I will remember hearing him in the bathroom praying out loud over his prayer list. I remember hearing my mother pray for me. I would come home from a game or from some outing, and oftentimes I would walk in and I would hear my mother praying for me out loud. There isn't anything better than to know that people pray for you, to know that they care enough to pray. Perhaps you're thinking as you listen today, you know what, Dr. Jeremiah, I don't think anybody's ever told me that they're praying for me. I'm sure there's somebody here like that. Well, you can have that joy right now because on the final night of his normal earthly life, Jesus gives us a glimpse of his prayer life how he prays for us. It's recorded for us in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. This passage is normally referred to as Christ's high priestly prayer. It's the longest section of the words of Jesus in the Bible. And some of the great past teachers of the Bible have said this is such a special passage that they don't dare preach on it. So when they're preaching through the book of John, they preach through the 16th chapter, and then they preach from 18 on, and they just read John 17. Some people say John 17 is holy ground 
Take your shoes off when you come to John 17. This is Jesus praying, and we have the words of his prayer. Now, the chapter is organized so that the first five verses record Jesus' prayer for himself. And verses 6 through 26 record him praying for his disciples. And in that section where he prays for his disciples, he's praying for us. And there we can learn several things about what Jesus prays when he prays for you and me. Very interesting that his prayers are quite different than ours, although in some ways they're the same. What's the one thing we pray about most often when we pray for our children, especially if they're not around us? We pray for their protection and their safety. And I want you to know, first of all today, that Jesus cares about your security. Read with me John 17, verses 11 and 15. This is what it says. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. In these verses, Jesus is praying that the Father would keep us secure in the world. Has there ever been a time in your history or mine when we've needed that more? To know that the Father is hearing prayers from the Son for our protection. We are living in a dangerous world and a frightening world in many respects. But Jesus is praying for us. He's asking the Father to keep us safe as he himself had kept his disciples safe while he was on this earth. The word keep is a wonderful word. It means to guard or watch over And do you know the picture I get in my mind? I think of Jesus on one occasion in the Gospels in the 6th of John is the story. You'll know the story when I tell you which one it is. The disciples are out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in the boat, and they're in deep trouble. There's a big storm. While they're out in the boat, Jesus is up in the mountain. The Bible tells us he went up to the mountains to pray. And when they got to the moment of their greatest trial, Jesus comes to them in the midst of the storm because he'd been watching over them from the mountains. And when he wasn't in the boat with them, he was watching over them in prayer. And that's what he prays for us. Father, in the midst of their storm, in the midst of their difficulty in this world, watch over them, protect them, and keep them. He's praying for your security, for your safety, and for mine. If you've listened to me preach for very long, you know I love the stories of World War II. I don't love the war. I just love the stories of the war. There's a story from World War II about the town of Dover, which ended up on the front line of battle. Not because they wanted to be there, but because of the way the battle was going. They were on the French coast, of England, and they found themselves right at the front line. They were being bombarded by long-range guns located on the occupied French coast and in imminent danger every day of being invaded by the Germans who were at the other end of their little village. And looking at their situation, you would have thought there was no way they would have lasted till the end of the war. But when World War II ended, there was Dover. They survived and were there to encourage others with the joy of victory. Basically, military experts tell us they survived for three reasons. Number one, there was an internal garrison of artillery within the city, and that artillery was able to offset the other shots that were coming in, the guns that were pointed toward them. Number two, 
The ships of the Royal Navy that patrolled the English Channel kept at bay the invading forces of the French. And thirdly, fighter planes of the Royal Air Force flew overhead and provided a protective umbrella for them. So in spite of the mortal danger and the fact that nobody thought they would survive, Dover survived the war and shared in the total victory. Just like Dover, you and I are protected. We have a threefold protection, just as they did. The indwelling spirit in our hearts is the garrison against the attack of the enemy. The word of God in our hands is the guard with which we must do combat. And up in heaven, overhead, just like the Royal Air Force, is Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for us that we might be protected. I look back over my life, and I'm sure you could do this as well. And I realize that there were many times when I was at a crossroads where I had a decision to make, and I didn't know what to do. And if I had made the wrong decision, it would have changed everything about my life. I surely wouldn't be here today. I could have gone the wrong way. It was the indwelling Holy Spirit that brought conviction to my heart, kept me from doing the wrong thing. And oftentimes when I was at a point of decision, I would be reading the Word of God and a portion of God's Word would jump off the page into my heart and it was like God was speaking out loud and I would know, this is the way, walk in this way. And I would do the right thing. Where if I had been left to myself, I would have probably done the other thing. How many of you know as you look back over your life, you did a lot of things you didn't want to do, but they turned out to be the right things. (laughs) But the one thing I'll never understand till I get to heaven is this. When the Holy Spirit has done all he can do to keep me out of trouble, and the Word of God has done all it can do to keep me out of trouble, there's still more. For up in heaven, next to the Father, is my Savior, and he's praying for me. He's praying, take care of Jeremiah down there in El Cajon. Don't let him do something foolish. Keep him from the evil one. Don't let him get caught up in something that could ruin his life. The Word of God and the Spirit of God and the prayer of the Lord at the right hand of the Father. I found these words again from the Old Testament Psalms. They fit right here. Let me read them to you. Psalm 121, verses 3 through 8. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, He who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth even forevermore. The Lord is our keeper and he is praying for us at the right hand of the Father. Then in the next verse, Jesus asks his Father to protect us from the evil one. How many of you know that Satan is our accuser? He's called the accuser of the brethren. The Bible says he goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What is he trying to devour? He's trying to devour our influence. He's trying to devour our testimony for Jesus. He can't devour our salvation because he has no right to take that from us. But he can destroy our reputation and destroy our influence for God. He's always about that, testing us 
and trying to get us to make the wrong decision. But did you know that the Lord Jesus is praying for us that we will not be overcome by Satan? The best illustration of that is in a verse of Scripture concerning Peter. Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus is talking to Peter, and this is what he says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. When Satan singled out Peter, Jesus assured Peter that he would not face the evil one alone. He told Peter that he was praying for his faith not to fail. Now we know hours later, it appeared as if Peter did fail. He denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. But how many of you know that wasn't the end of the story? You have to read all the way through the book of John to the 21st chapter. And after Jesus' resurrection, Peter returns to Jesus, and Jesus gives him the assignment to strengthen the brothers. In other words, in response to Jesus' prayer, God allowed Satan to sift Peter, but he did not allow Peter to fall through the sieve. And although Peter fell, his faith did not fail. What a reminder to us men and women that Jesus cares enough to pray us through our failures. All of us are men and women who have failed. We're not failures because we fail, but we have all failed in some way. And when we fail, the Bible gives us this encouragement that as Jesus prayed for Peter during his three-point denial of Jesus, Jesus prays for us. You know, we think, well, when we succeed, it's Jesus praying for us. No, when we're failing, Jesus is praying for us. And he prays us through our failures so that we get back to the place of fellowship with him. We don't fully understand the spiritual warfare that we face every day. We do not know all the ways in which the devil accuses us before God, but we have the blood of Jesus Christ pleading for us, and we have the one whose blood is pleading for us. Jesus protects us from the evil one. He shields us by his prayers and by the power of his blood. His prayers are a protective force around us. Jesus is praying for us. What is he praying? He's praying for our protection. He's praying for our security. Number two, Jesus cares about our sufficiency. Verse 13 of chapter 17 says, Now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. In verse 13, Jesus prayed that the joy he has might be fulfilled in us. He wasn't talking about just joy, but fulfilled joy, overrunning joy, abundant joy, sufficient joy. He was talking about Jesus' joy. Let me tell you, as you know, he's not talking about happiness. That depends on the happenings. He's talking about joy. That depends on Jesus. And Jesus' joy is so amazing. Jesus' joy is the answer to the Hebrew greeting, shalom. They tell us that the word shalom means more than peace. It means a sense of well-being within a person. The joy of Jesus 
is that sense you have that no matter what's going on around you, the most important thing is okay. And in your heart, there's this feeling, this sense of the sufficiency of the joy of Jesus. I've seen this illustrated in so many believers, and I've even experienced it sometimes in my own life, that during very troubling times and times that would normally take a smile off of your face, the inward Jesus puts joy in your heart that's beyond anything you can explain. That is a certain truth. You know, these uh, programs that we send to you by radio are recorded, and I do this part that I'm doing right now uh, several weeks before the program actually airs. And uh, as I heard my voice saying what I just said, I have been studying in preparation for Thanksgiving. And I'm giving a message on Thanksgiving here, which will already have been given by the time you hear this note, on um, how to be thankful in times of trouble. And I've learned a lot during these days when I have been in a little trouble of my own. And I want to tell you what you learn from the Bible that helps you when you go through tough times is worth the Bible all by itself. And I hope you go to the Scripture when you need help. If you do, and you're very serious about it, you will find all the help you need. God is there to help you in times of trouble. And uh, that's what this praying message is all about. See you tomorrow, friends. Thanks for listening. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Jesus You May Not Know, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new 365-day devotional for 2024, Walking with Jesus. It's sure to inspire you through the year ahead, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue The Jesus You May Not Know on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. We celebrate Christmas every year, but have you ever wondered why? Why Mary? Why Joseph? Why a newborn king? In the film called Why the Nativity, Dr. David Jeremiah gives you a front row seat as you travel back in time to experience the sights and sounds of this pivotal moment, the birth of Jesus. Make this your new Christmas tradition. Why the Nativity is available to stream for free at whythenativity.org. Watch it today for free at whythenativity.org. To help their youngest children understand the true meaning of Christmas, some families have a birthday party for Jesus, complete with cake, party hats, and all the trimmings. After all, 
Christmas is the celebration of the birth of a real person who was born 2,000 years ago, so why not have a party? But a birthday party for the Son of God raises the question of why Jesus had to be born as a baby to begin with. Why didn't he just come to earth as a man at age 30? Well, the answer to that question is because he came to identify with us. He came from heaven as the Son of God, and he came from Mary as the Son of Man. And this is David Jeremiah, and that is the Christmas story on Route 66. Driving the word home this Christmas on Route 66. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.